let's dive in. Hey, um, we are uh, in second week of this series uh, called The Creed, and we are looking at, Shane did a great job if you missed last week's message, talking about uh, God the creator and creation. So if you missed it, man, go back and watch that. Um, it was uh, pretty incredible. But um, this week, we're, we're kind of looking at the second part of the Apostles' Creed. You got that card in your, um, in your notes. You can see the Apostles' Creed there. We're, we're looking at um, the statement that says, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That's what we're going to um, focus in on today, focus in on who Jesus is and why that matters for my life. I was thinking about this, and uh, I thought about the, the types of people in our lives. Maybe you have, uh, this would be true for you, but I don't know if you have some people in your life that uh, are kind of like the I know a guy types of people. You guys know any of those people? Like, it's like always like, I, I know a guy, right? Like, hey, I need a mechanic. Oh, your buddy's like, I, I know a guy, right? Or, hey, I, I, need, uh, I need my air conditioning fixed. Oh, I, I know a guy, right? Like, we, we send a text message to a big group of uh, people. I'm in this giant mass group text with a bunch of North Point men, and it's like, hey, I need a, I need a, 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 an air conditioning guy. Like, oh, I, I got you. I know a guy. And like 10 people sent, right? Like, we, we know how this works. I know a guy. We know some people. Turn to the person next to you, tell them, I know a guy, right? My grandpa, my grandpa's kind of this type of person. Uh, my grandpa's always been this way. Um, he, my grandpa's never met a stranger, all right? My grandpa's the type of guy that he could walk into a restaurant and make best friends with the waiter, but just like, like, he, like, never knowing him, never seen him before, but he's just that kind of person. Like, it's amazing. It's great. I wish I could be more like it. But but uh, my grandpa was always this way growing up. We went to baseball games. He was the, uh, the chaplain for the Grizzlies and the Giants sometimes. And uh, we'd go to the baseball game. He'd be like, come in the back, right? And he'd be like, uh, hey, get, let's go in the dugout. We never sat still because it was always just like, uh, uh, say bye to the TV. Um, uh, we always, uh, we never sat still at Grizzlies games because always like, hey, come be, uh, come sit in the dugout. Let's go get some food in the booth. Let's, my grandpa was always the I know a guy type of person, and it made a difference. It makes a difference in his life and in my life. See, the people that we know make a difference in our lives. Uh, I'll show you this next, you can show this picture of uh, my family. This is, uh, we just had a baby, her name's Baby June. Uh, oh my gosh, right? Um, this is my wife, Evie, you just saw her, and then uh, this is our uh, baby, her name is June. Uh, she's almost two months old now. Um, Anyway, so knowing her has definitely changed my life, right? All the parents said amen, because well, like, it's like I got hardly any sleep last night, right? Actually, last night was an okay night, but, but you know what I'm talking about, and just even coming here, me being on stage, and Evie being on stage, it was like we're passing her off to a bunch of different people, and it, like, that's just, it changes life, it changes everything, and this is the thing about Jesus, is when we know Jesus, it changes everything. It, it changes our life, and the question is, will we choose to know him, and will we let it change the way we think, and the way we live our lives. See, there's a difference between knowing about Jesus and really knowing Jesus. Really knowing the person of Jesus, and Jesus invites us to get to know him personally. This is who Jesus is. We, we, we live in a Christian culture that knows a lot about Jesus. We got the bumper sticker, we, we, we post all the right things, we wear the Jesus shirt, but we don't know Jesus personally. Right, and, and, and my, my, my question for us today is, do we know Jesus? He really invites us to get to know him. That's what makes Christian faith different from every, every other, is Jesus invites us to know him personally. See, and, and the, 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 the follow-up question to that is like, well, well, how do I get to know Jesus? 
But, well, how, how do I, if we're sitting over coffee, like that's the obvious question, next question is how, how do I get to know Jesus? Well, well like the, the, it's obvious answer, but sometimes we forget this is how we get to know Jesus, God's word right here. And sometimes we get stuck reading this thing right here. We do quiet times in the morning just because we think this helps us be a better person. Like we think this is just a book about how to be a better uh, follower of Jesus, how to be a better person, how to be, be, live a better life. But if that's the case, then this book is no better than a, some self-help book off of Amazon or, or some Dr. Phil TV show. Like this, is not, this book is not about you. It's a book introducing you to the person of Jesus. And it's so much better. We live differently when we read this and we get to know who Jesus is. We get to know him personally. And that's what I want to do today. I want to dive into what God's word says about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Do you know him personally? Because if you do, it would change your life. It would change your life. There's a story in Matthew that we, we're gonna look at. We're actually, actually gonna read it, but it's on your outline. You can go read it later. I'm just gonna kind of jump through it. But um, it's this story where Jesus comes to his disciples and he asks them a question. He says, they, they kind of go on this, like, I, I kind of imagine them going on this camping trip, all right? Uh, like, they're going on this camping trip, but getting away from all the people. And it says, Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? And the disciples answer to the, you know, the best of their knowledge, the rumors that they heard or whatever. And, and, and they say, you, you can read it. They say, most people think you're one of the prophets, Jeremiah or Isaiah or whoever, or, or maybe you're John the Baptist, and really what they're saying is people just think that you're a good teacher, you're a good moral teacher. But Jesus, Jesus then flips the question and he says this, who do you say that I am? And it's a turning point for the disciples. That moment, I, I can't, like I just, I put myself in the story, right? And, and if, if I'm sitting there, it probably was like awkward silence right there, right? Like, and Jesus like, who do you say? And it was probably just that awkward, like moment of, who, who are they gonna side with? It's not, it's not what do people say anymore. It's not, I'm not, like it's a moment, it's a turning point in their relationship with Jesus of who are you gonna say and who are you gonna believe that I am? This is the question he asked us this morning. Who do you say that I am? Peter answers, he's the one that answers. You can keep reading and he says this. This is a part you can underline, circle, highlight in your Bibles on the notes. Here's what he says. He says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's a game changer. He says, you're the Messiah, the one that's come to save, the one that's been promised for years. You're the savior, Jesus. You're not just a good teacher. You are our savior, the son of the living God. He's not just a good teacher. He is God. He's more than that. John 1, we talked about John 1 last week. It says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the message paraphrase says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. I love that. Like Jesus moved into your neighborhood. You know, as they talk, I told you that I like to think that they're going on this camping trip, right? And, and, and if you read at the top, it says they go to this place called Caesarea Philippi, and it was this place of, of idol worship, really what it was. It was a place where they would do crazy sacrifices and gross, honestly, sexual practices to worship this God named Pan. We went to this place and we visited Israel, and, and it's just this, it, it was this crazy place. They had this big idol to this God, and they had idols in the rocks, and, and, and this is the place Jesus chose for their camping trip. Like, what a, like, like, thanks, Jesus, what a great place, right? But I can't help but think that it was intentional, because Peter makes this important distinction. He says, you are the son of the living God. And it's important distinction between these, because these are dead gods. 
and you're the living God. These gods have nothing to offer me. I can't help but think that as they have this conversation, there's, there's all these crazy worship practices going on in the background. And then Peter's like, you are the living, you're the one worthy of my worship. Those are, those are dead gods. They have nothing to offer me. You're the Messiah. You're the Savior. And here's what we know. A confession of who Jesus is, the son of the living God, will confront some of the ways that we choose to worship other things in the way that we think, and the way that we act, and the way that we live. The idols of sex, the idols of money, of power, of being the best, those things are dead, but have nothing to offer me. A confession of Jesus actually confronts the way, it, it might confront the way that we make ourselves the Messiah. That we try to put ourselves on that pedestal and say, I'm the savior, but it doesn't work, it's a dead idol. See, we know a guy who changes everything. Here's what you can write in Jesus. Jesus makes me right with God. Jesus makes me right. This is who Jesus is. It's not those things that can make me right. It's not those things that restore right relationship. Jesus is the one that makes me right with God. There's a story in Matthew that illustrates this really well. Uh, it, it's a story that was before, we go backwards in the, in the book of Matthew, it was before Matthew, uh, Peter's confession. And I can't help but think that, that, that it, probably had a, 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 it probably contributed to the way that he saw Jesus, this story right here. So it's in Matthew chapter 9. It's in verse, we start in verse 9. It says this. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a what? What, did it say? what does it say? At a tax collector's booth. He says, follow me and be my disciple. So Matthew got up and followed him. Let's, let's stop here for just a second because I think we miss the craziness of this story right here. Because we don't understand how wild this is. Like for Jesus to just stop at a tax collector's booth in front of this, uh, Matthew the tax collector. Tax collectors were despised, hated people in this time. I mean, think about it for just a second. Think about what they did to their own people, their own family. They turned their back on their own family, their, their own brothers and sisters, their own friends, just so that they can make a little bit of money. Because this Roman government comes in and it takes over and it says, I'm demanding taxes. And then it asks some of the Jewish people, hey, I need you to be the one asking for taxes. And Matthew says, all right, I sign up because I want to make money. And what do the tax collectors do? It's not, just like, it's not just like, okay, I'm asking for money. In fact, on top of that, they're taking the money, the hard-earned, your hard-earned money that you work for every day of every week. And they, you come up to them, you have to come to them and give them the money. And then what do they do? Right in front of you, they, they pull off a little bit of the top and put it in their pocket for, to go towards their, the tile in their house, right? The ship that goes up on their wall, right? Like, you know what I'm talking, like, this is what, this is who Matthew was. Did, like, crazy wild, like, that Jesus would, I, I think about this, and I'm like, dude, like, I would punch my brother in the face just for betraying me in a video game, right? He's like, shoot me in the back, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, that deserves a fist to the face, right? And th this is real life, that Matthew betrayed his own family. Can you imagine like these are people feeding off of the poor, the needy, and the vulnerable. Like, like let me say, Matthew would have been the face of cancel culture today. He would have been all over your Instagram pages and Facebook, like he would have been the one people canceled. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't cancel people, he calls them to a better way of living. 
And yet we live and we contribute to this cancel culture and it gets even crazier. Jesus calls Matthew and so it says Matthew left everything he got up and followed him. Verse 10 it says, later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many other tax collectors and disreputable sinners. Like great party, Jesus. Like these are people walking down the streets that you know, that's the thief. Oh, oh, that's the prostitute. Like, oh, I know those people. Like that's what disreputable sinners means. They have a, re- a bad reputation, reputation of being sinful. And, and it's no wonder the Pharisees say, they, they ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, I, I love this. You ready? He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And you know, Jesus, he didn't say these sinners were the only sick people. The Pharisees were just as sick, they just didn't know it. And, and we see it, and it continued when he says, he said, then he added, now go learn, go and learn what the scripture means. He says, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Here's the part you can underline, circle, highlight in your Bible, on your notes. He says, for I have come. He tells us his purpose, not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who know they're sinners. And that's the difference between the religious and these sinners, is these people knew they were sinners, the religious just pretended they weren't. But they were just as sinful. Jesus calls a sinner like Matthew and makes a way for him to be right, made right with God. For him to know God, like, like it wasn't anything that Matthew did, it wasn't who Matthew was, it was who Jesus is. It had nothing to do with who Matthew was or what, what he offered. That's the grace that Jesus extends to us to be made right with God, not because of us, not because of who you are, not because of your job or your status or your Instagram followers, no, 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 but because of who Jesus is, that Jesus is, that's what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah, the son of the living God. He gives us his purpose. I've come not to call those who think they're righteous, but but those who know they're sinners. Why does Jesus call people who know they're sinners? See, it's, it's, it's the sinful people that know their need for a savior. Sinners know their need for a savior. We know that we can't do it on our own. And if we think that, that, that we're righteous, that we think that we can make ourselves right, then, then we really have no need for a savior because we are, are, are believing this lie that we can be our own savior. That, that we're not, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am? We're not saying you're the Messiah. We're just saying you're a good teacher and you teach me how to live. But, but I am the Messiah. I can be my own savior. I can be my own king. That's the lie we're believing. But Jesus is the one that makes us right with God. He's more than just a good teacher. And if we believe in anything different, we've really misunderstood who Jesus is. See, Jesus, Jesus, the cool thing about Jesus, he comes to make us right with God, and then he shows us who God is. Here, here's what the next thing you can write down is Jesus co- confronts our legalistic thinking, okay? Jesus confronts our legalistic thinking with unearned grace. The way that, the way that we uh, start to think that we can be our own Messiah, he, he, sh- he shatters that with his grace. He shatters the myth that God helps those who help themselves. It's a lie. It's not in the Bible. Go read your Bible if you think that's true. No, no, no. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. God is faithful when we are faithless. He confronts the thinking that I can earn God's blessing. Matthew did nothing to help himself. Jesus just invited him. You know, there's, a, there's this, this way of, an example of this is this way of thinking in our culture today, and, and in Christian culture, it is the prosperity gospel. 
You know if you've ever heard of it. Sometimes it's called Health and Wellness Gospel. And it, this really, really, really it is a lie that our culture is beginning to believe. Because it says that, that you know, it, the prosperity gospel says that I can earn health and wealth by being more faithful, by serving more, by praying harder, and especially by giving more to the church. That's what's gonna help me earn God's blessing. That means that I won't get sick, that that means that, that God's gonna heal me, that God's gonna give me his miracle, or that, that if I give money, get money to God, then I'll receive the miracle that he has given, but we have to watch out because this easily creeps into our own thinking. Guys, it creeps into our own worship songs. Sometimes we worship the blessing more than the blesser. Sometimes we, in our own worship songs, we're worshiping the miracle than the one who gives the miracle. We gotta be careful, because this, this way of thinking, it seems easy, it seems kinda nice, like I can, do, I, can, I can do what I want to earn the blessing, but God just becomes a genie in a bottle, doing what we want, and you're making yourself a savior that you were never meant to be. There's a lot of dangerous thinking, right? It's the legalism of the Pharisees. This is what this is. It becomes all about you. How can I be good enough to earn grace, to earn love? And you're, again, you're worshiping the blessing instead of the blesser, the created instead of the creator. And the Bible clearly teaches that this is not the gospel. This is the, this is the type of thinking that Paul says in Galatians, I'm astonished that you have so quickly left the gospel of Jesus for another gospel. I was reading this morning in 2 Timothy, I didn't even put this in my notes, but I was just reading this morning and thought of this, and, and it says this in 2 Timothy chapter 6, it says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and teaches, uh, and the teaching that accords with godliness, it says he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. It, it says that he has an unhealthy craving for controversy, sound like our world? And for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people. Again, sound like the social media you see? People who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But it says godliness with contentment is great gain. Learning to follow and know that Jesus is the Messiah, not you. That Jesus is the one where we find truth. We're confused, we're a confused culture. Where is truth, what is truth? Because we pretend like truth can be whatever it wants to be, but Jesus said, I am the truth. That's who Jesus is. Ephesians says it this way, Ephesians two, this one's on your outline. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But then it says, but call and preach a good message. Is that what it says? No, but I, I fall into this way of thinking that that's what I, that, that's what I sometimes believe and believe that lie. But then it says, but, but Tommy back here shreds on the guitar. Is that what it says? No, because that's not true, right? But then, but then uh, we think that, like, but, but I can, uh, but, but I, made, I made myself the, the, the boss and the CEO. I, I got all of the things that I want. I have the biggest house, and I have the, right? Is that what it says? I was dead, but I did this. No, it doesn't even say you. It doesn't say your name. And that's how we live. But God, what a way to sum up the gospel in two words. I was dead in my sin, but God. I was, I was living captive to fear and to shame, but God. What a way to tell people about Jesus, but God. 
It says, I was dead in my sins, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Grace shatters our legalistic thinking, shatters the way that we've made ourselves the Messiah. Guys, don't miss the grace of the gospel, because if we miss the grace, it no longer becomes good news. It's just news. The gospel is saying, the gospel is when Jesus says, hey listen, I came and I earned God's blessing where you couldn't. But I traded it and I went to the cross and took on God's curse instead. And Jesus says, hey now when you believe in me, Jesus says, when you believe in me, all that you deserve comes on me and all that I deserve is accredited and given to you, that's the gospel. It has nothing to do with what you've done, it's not about you, Never has been. It's all about Jesus. So why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why does this matter for the way we live? Because you can rest in knowing that Jesus is the one that makes you right with God. It's not your perfect quiet time every day. It's not the perfect uh, serving or giving. Those things are good. We should do them, but we don't do them to be saved. We do them because we've already been saved. It's not living up to be like the great pastors and leaders that we follow. It's not being a fan It's not wearing the Jesus t-shirt, Jesus is my homeboy, right? Or the bumper sticker. You know, it's not being part of the Republican Party that's gonna save you or the Democratic Party that's gonna save you. Your president is not gonna save you. Ouch. It's not the social justice initiatives that you like to think you're a part of that's gonna save you. Those things are good, we do those things, we should fight for people, but it's not so that it'll save us or even save them, Jesus is the only one that can. We should quit pretending like we can be our own savior. Guys, I know a guy. Turn to the person next to you, tell him, I know a guy. I know a guy. Jesus, who makes us right with God. It's only Jesus. And so is he part of your life, or is he life itself? See, Jesus came and he shows us something about God. You can write this in. Jesus reveals, Jesus reveals our relational God. Jesus reveals our relational God. And guys, this is, an, this is if we could just get this, this is a game changer in the way that we live. G- the cool thing about Jesus making us right is he came to be like us. He was willing to leave his place in heaven. We, we talked about it last week, to come and be with us. The, the word dwelt among us. Experience the things that we do. Because of Jesus, we can come boldly to a personal God who desires to to comfort us in our lowest moments, to sit with us in the lowest moments, to celebrate us in our highest moments, and to be our constant in every other season. Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 4, it says, so then, we have a great high priest, it says, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. It says, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, understands our weakness. There's another one you can underline, circle, highlight. Understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, and yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly. We get to come to God because of who Jesus is. To our gracious God, there we'll receive mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Guys, instead of this, 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 this is what makes God so much different than every other religion of this world. 
that says that God is just this, this person up way up there, this cosmic being wagging his finger said, you better live this way. But in the person of Jesus, God shows us that he wants to be personal. He wants to sit with us. This was, again, this was a game changer for me. Uh, years ago, when, when my dad passed away, and I, I've talked about this here before, guys, I felt comfort knowing that Jesus had felt the same grief that I have. That he doesn't just say, get over it, but that he's actually been there. I can remember moments, uh, man, I, again, I've talked about it before, but I can remember moments of like just middle of the night or middle of the day, whatever, where I just, man, I just overwhelmed with loneliness, feeling like no one understands and feeling like, man, I, I, like honestly, I thought this, like, right, like what if, uh, what if my dad's just playing a prank on us, right? Like what if he's just gonna walk through that door? Like I just longed for that and felt like no one knew how I was feeling. This is the, the lie of pain that it leads us to this place of loneliness. But here's what we see. Well, I came across this story later on in John chapter 11. There's a story in John chapter 11 where, where Jesus and his friend uh, Lazarus, um, uh, his friend Lazarus had died. And, and, um, and, and this was a story, man, where I knew that Jesus had, had no my pain. Because Jesus, he, he knew why he was coming to this tomb. Lazarus had been dead for three or four days. And he knew, he had said before, that this was gonna glorify God, that, that Lazarus was really gonna be raised from the dead. We know the end of the story. Lazarus is raised from the dead. Jesus knew the end of the story. But he comes to this place, and, and the sisters of, of Lazarus, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if, if you were here, my brother would not be dead. And in the face of pain, in the face of their grief, Jesus doesn't just say, okay, get over it. We're gonna fix the problem. No, before he fixed the problem, he sat with them in their pain. And we get the most incredible verse of the Bible. In John eleven thirty five. it's the easiest verse to memorize. It says, Jesus wept. What an incredible thing that Jesus took a moment to weep with his children, weep with people who were grieving that we are not alone in our pain. He knows, he understands. In our lowest moment, he weeps with us. In our highest moment, he celebrates with us. I mean, he parties. He went and partied with Matthew. Like, I think of, like, I like to think of Jesus as a partier. I think that's a movie, right? And he's constant in every single moment. And, and you're sitting here and you're saying, well, well, yeah, but you just don't know me. You don't know my pain. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. And I, I don't. But I know Jesus. I know what the Bible says about Jesus. See, I, I showed you a picture of, of baby June earlier. Right? Guys, you know, I, uh, uh, man, the, I'm not the Disney type of person, all right? Like, I just don't like Disney princesses. Disney movies are fine. But I, I'm not the Disney princess type of person. I'm not the glittery type of person. I'm the person to sit down and do the, the, the right, the tea party thing. Like, that's just not me, right? Like, like no, no, no. And, and Evie, like, is like, you're gonna do that one day? And I'm like, nope, she's gonna come hunting with me, right? Like, she's not gonna be a dancer. She's gonna be a hunter, right? And I can fight it all I want, but here's the truth. Man, I, I love her like words can't even express. And so you better bet. You follow Evie on Instagram, one day you're gonna see me sitting there at the tea, at the, with the tea party. I draw the line with the nails, okay? Like, that's not gonna happen. You're gonna sit me sitting there, see, see me sitting there watching the princess movies. I'm gonna know Frozen, even though I've never seen the movie. I guarantee you, why? Because I love her. 
And so I don't know your pain, I don't know the problem, but I know Jesus. And I know what the Bible says about Jesus, that he loves you, that he'll sit with you, that he's experienced your pain. So why does this matter? Well, in the face of our loneliness, in the face of overwhelming, where we just can't do anything, where we feel like no one understands, what do we say, what do we do? We say, listen, loneliness, look it in the face and say, I know a guy. I know a guy who was at the bottom of a cave the night before he's crucified, betrayed by his friends. I know a guy who faced loneliness. I know a guy who sits with me and says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the face of anxiety, overwhelming stress, we just don't know what to do. What do we do? We say, I know a guy. Like, come here, anxiety, come with me. I know a guy who's bigger than you. We know a guy, what first Peter, Peter speaks from experience and he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In the face of our hopelessness, our marriage is failing, whatever it is for you. I don't know where else to go, I'm hopeless. In the face of hopelessness, I know a guy that the grave couldn't even hold down. I know a guy that defeated death itself. His name is Jesus. Whatever the case is for you, Jesus reveals a creator who is close. This is who Jesus is. So what do we do? How do we live differently? Hebrews 12 tells us, it says this in in the first two verses. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Jesus says, I've taken it. Come to me especially that sin, the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run. Let's run with endurance. Let's be people who are marked by running to Jesus. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. In, in high school ministry, we have this thing where we say our house rule number one, the first thing that we do is Jesus is our focus. He's the reason, he's the focus in everything that we do. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him he endured the cross. Disregarding shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Don't walk, run. Looking to Jesus. The joy that was set before him, what was that joy that he went to the cross? Relationship with you. Restoring right relationship with his creation. That's what kept him going to the cross. The joy that was set before him. So what difference does this make? Here's your last point. Here's how we live differently. I will bend my knee in worship to Jesus. The only acceptable and reasonable response to Jesus is worship. He's worthy of our worship. Guys, story after story after story after story in the Bible, we see when someone experiences the person of Jesus, they fall to their knees. The disciples, when Jesus calms the storm, what do they do? They say, the Bible literally says they were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? The wind and the waves obey him. They fall to their knees. The the woman in Luke chapter seven, she, she comes to a party where she doesn't belong and she falls on, the, on her face at the feet of Jesus. And she wipes his feet with expensive oil and her own tears and hair, kind of gross. But Jesus does it, but she does it because to worship the person of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable and it talks about like sinful people and knowing they're sinners. This, why did this woman do it? Because she knew 
She was sinful and she knew the grace of the person sitting in front of her, that she didn't earn it. There was nothing she could do to earn it, but Jesus offers it and extends it instead. And what Jesus says in that moment is he says, get up and sin no more. This is the only acceptable and reasonable response to the person of Jesus, worship. Hebrews 12 says it this way, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Here's what I wanna say to you. We, We may say this all the time, but I'm gonna say it again. Our corporate worship here is only an extension and continuation of our private worship out there. The worship we do here as a church family, it doesn't stop here. It's a continuation of how you worship out there. Like like the church should be full of people who have been worshiping God in every moment of their life, at work, at home, at wherever you're at. And then they come together and enjoy, they get to worship together. That I've been worshiping, I've been choosing worship when it's difficult at home. I've been choosing worship when this person's annoying me at work. I've been choosing to worship the person of Jesus because he's so good and so gracious. And then I get to come here and I get to do it with my church family. Like that would change Fresno. That would change the world if we were people who chose to worship every moment and every day. People would walk in here and they'd go, what in the world is different about this place? Guys, are we gonna choose to worship Jesus at the grocery, in the grocery line at the store when that person in front of us is like pulling every penny and you're like tempted to go, dude, come on, right? Like I speak from experience. Are we gonna choose, that moment is an opportunity to choose surrender and worship Jesus. I will bend my knee in the face of my selfishness. Our culture preaches, it's all about me. I gotta look out for me, I gotta look out for my back. You deserve it, go do you. I gotta look out for me, because if I don't, who will? Jesus. Because of the freedom we have in Jesus, we can lay our rights and our freedom down. That's what he offers. I will bend my knee in the face of uncomfortable situations when I'm choosing to serve. Let let me just say this, let me give you an example. Parents, parents, like let's just be real. Parents, it's uncomfortable to talk about sex. The fact that I just said it on stage made some of you go, oh my gosh. But if you don't talk to your kids about sex, TikTok will, and it's no good. I just feel like I have to say that as a high school pastor. But also there's other things. Man, uncomfortable, I will bend my knee in the face of uncomfortable situations. I will walk in them boldly, because I get to worship Jesus in it. And I get to serve people because of the grace that Jesus has offered me. I will bend my knee in kindness toward the person I disagree with. Like, like what if we were just kind to people that didn't agree with us? Like, they may have some way off opinion, and you're probably right, but what if we were just kind to them anyway? We, this would be a different place, our world would be a different place. Every decision we have, every decision we make is an opportunity to bend our knee and worship to Jesus. Worship is not a moment of singing, it's a lifestyle of living. It's every single day bending our knee to the person of Jesus because of the grace that he has. Because I'm a sinful person and he is so holy and so good and yet he chose to come and be like me and be with me so that I could be with him. 
So I don't know, I, I don't know what your life of worship looks like outside of here. Maybe it's non-existent. Maybe it's just a Sunday morning thing. Let's change that today. Let today be the difference in the way that you live because you know the person of Jesus. Maybe you don't know Jesus. You can know him today. He makes himself known and available and he wants you to know him. It'll change your life. Maybe you know Jesus, but you've just been coming, you've been going through the motions, you haven't been really living it. You come to Sunday morning, but your life doesn't look like worship. What would your kids say if they came and, if they, if they came and saw you worship in here and then they saw you out there? Would they say that you worship Jesus? Tonight can be different. Today, your life, it can, it can change because you know the person of Jesus. Knowing a guy like Jesus makes all the difference. So Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? What's your answer today? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we can know you. Thank you that your word reveals to us who you are. Thank you that you make yourself available. I pray for those today that don't know you. I pray that they would choose to make the decision to follow you, to know you, that they would know that there's nothing they have to do to come and follow Jesus, but all that you ask is for our whole heart. Would today be the shift for some people where it wouldn't be just about Sunday morning worship, but it would be a lifestyle of living for worshiping you because you are so worthy so good. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you comfort us in our lowest moments, that you celebrate and party with us in our highest moments, and that you're constant in every other. Jesus, challenge us today. Encourage us. Jesus, we love you more than anything else in this world. Would our life reflect that? In your name, amen.